0: That city that lies four squares is where we're going to begin. Revelation 21, Revelation 21, if you haven't read about that in a while. Revelation 21, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, you get right there, the city that lies four squares. The city's on top of a huge mountain, according to John's writings and symbols there in Revelation 21. That holy city, Jerusalem, we call it, this is the city that lies four square. Four square. If it lies four square, there ought to be at least four blessings uh, named here. And so let's think about this. Let's think about the blessing of it being four square. First of all, this means that, that heaven is going to be an intimate place. It's going to be a place where we are right with God, right in His presence. That's what that's supposed to mean. See? If you'll take your Bibles with me and turn to 1 Kings 6, you'll see why I'm saying that this heavenly city is to be a place where God is. Where God is. Well, as we turn back to 1 Kings 6, you remember that Moses, God through Moses, built the tabernacle. And within the tabernacle was the holy place and that inner sanctum called the most holy place. Okay, And then later Solomon We'll build a temple that contains the features of the sanctuary. Okay. So we pick up in 1 Kings chapter 6 and read about this most inner sanctuary. As we are about to read this, now remember over in Exodus 25-22, God had, had said, This is where I will meet with you. This is where I will commune with you. In this holy of holy places under the, the system of Moses. Okay. And so, bear that in mind. Now let's read 1 Kings 6 together. And verse number uh, 20. Verse 20. Starting in verse 19. The inner sanctuary he prepared in the innermost part of the house to set there the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Verse 20. The inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long and 20 cubits wide and... Twenty cubits high, and he overlaid it with pure gold. He also overlaid an altar of cedar. Okay, so let's think. us bear that in mind. So going back to John's writings, there in Revelation 21, verse 16, the city lies four square, about about um, 15 miles every which way, 15,000 miles every which way. Okay, in other words, the length and the width and the height were all the same measurements. <laughs> Okay, as the angel takes his measuring rod and measures the heavenly city. Because all this is portrayed to us uh, other grand ideals. And one grand ideal here is that the city foursquare is to be the dwelling place of God. See, Back in 1 Kings 6 and verse 20, the, the innermost, the holy of holies, okay, is also foursquare. It's also cubed as, as you were okay and that was the, in those days that was where God would meet uh, Moses uh, and the people that was his, that was his dwelling place okay but that sem- that was to be a preview I think uh, of the heavenly city that lies four square. and that's where God is that's where God is remember John's writings in first John 3 2 and 3. We shall see him even as he is. That's when we're in heaven. On that great day, we will see him even as he is. In Paul's writings, 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, and 18, so shall we ever be with the Lord. You see. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 8 and 9, he said, I'd rather depart from this body of mine and be at home with the Lord, with the Lord. Here in Revelation 21, there are four great blessings mentioned. Okay? The heavenly city is, is pictured having a very high wall. Okay? And so heaven will, be a, heaven will be a place of security. Right? We're not surprised by that because over in Revelation 22:15, we read that none of the bad guys, none of the evil people will be in the heavenly uh, city. Revelation twenty one twenty five says, as we've just been singing, that the gates are ever open. There's no, there's no need to close the gates of heaven because there's going to be no threats. There's going to be no threats. If you back up to Revelation twenty, eleven through fifteen, you see that all the enemies of God by this time will have been dispatched into hell. Okay. So this high wall of the city is to depict to us the secure the security of heaven. The security of the saints. And then if you keep reading from Revelation 21 on down, verses 12 and 13, you see that there are going to be 12 gates. The, the city is described as having 12 gates all around. Three in every direction. Three to the west, three to the east, three to the north, three to the south. And this is the blessing of avail- availability. Okay, Heaven's going to be available to everybody. And it is available to everybody. Everybody wants to come and follow our Lord. But then, as you keep reading through Revelation 21, you see all these precious stones that are named. And this is to depict the very glory of God, as we've been singing a moment ago. You know, language really breaks down when it comes to trying to describe the glory of God the glory of God, the radiance of God, the eternity of God, the beauty of God. It's almost as if you can just see John, you know, striving for words, to find the words, find the language. Find the, you know, language is a great gift from God, but when, you come, when it comes to describing the glory of God, it's hard, it's hard to find the words. But God it describes heaven to us as a very, very beautiful place. So think about the blessings of heaven here in Revelation 21 the the availability of it, the security of it, the glory of it, the beauty of it, but mostly here, the intimacy. Okay, the city that lies foursquare that that depicts to us the fact that when we get there, we're going to be right in the midst of the dwelling place of God, right at His throne. Okay, right in His midst. Alright, so our task tonight is to see, well, how do we get from the home all the way to heaven? How do we get from being mom and dad and brother and sister all the way to heaven? Okay. I want to share with you four sets of four principles. Okay. Four sets of four principles. Four, four verses, in other words. Four verses. Okay. And then um, we're just going to give a quick outline. We'll, won't go forever. If I was going to do a long session on the family, this is the kind of approach I would take. okay We're just going to give a quick outline of some of these thoughts tonight. So the four passages are Matthew 193 through6 and then Exodus 2 1 through11. And then the third passage is Hebrews 11:23 through28. And then the final passage is Luke 2, 52. Contained in each of these passages are principles, four principles, that can help us to get from our homes to heaven and enjoy that city that lies four square. So first of all, uh, we start with marriage in Matthew 19, 3 through 6. And we remember that Jesus quotes from Genesis 2. So the first principle there is leave. Leaving, Father, and mother. Okay, and this is what we do as as parents. We remember all along the way, we we remember from the very get-go that we are preparing our children to leave, leaving father and mother. And then the second principle there is cleaving, cleaving to the wife or the husband. Cleaving. How do you describe cleaving? Well, the older preachers used to use this passage in Acts um, 18. Verses 7 and 8 is Paul and his co workers are working in the area of Corinth and, and um, they're teaching the gospel. And they enter into um, the house of a man by the name of Titus Justice. Titus Justice. Okay. And it says there that Titus Justice, his house um, was right against the synagogue. Okay. It was hard pressed right against the synagogue. And uh, interesting there, Crispus, who's the ruler of the synagogue in that area, uh, he ended up being a believer most likely through the influence of Titus Justice. Okay. But notice it says that the house that Titus Justice lived in was hard pressed okay, against the synagogue. In other words, it just it was built just right. There was no space between his house and the synagogue. It laid right that close. And it was joined hard. I think that's the King James Version. Uh, It was joined hard to the synagogue. And that's the very word of cleaving here. That Jesus uses in Matthew 19. We are to join hard. And fast. And be glued and fastened. uh, To our wives. Or to our our husbands. And so there's a leaving. And there's a cleaving. And then there's a weaving. Because Jesus said the two shall become... One flesh. Okay. So husband and wife in the sight of God are to weave their lives together. They are to become one together. That's a lifelong process. It's a beautiful, beautiful, uh, not only ideal, but, but actually experience. Uh, and many of you have, are experiencing it right now. But they are to weave their lives together, mainly with the use of, of love. You know, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we need every one of those and, and more of the qualities of God and His Word as we weave our homes together. And then the fourth principle there, Matthew 19, is to, is to conceive. That's, that's, what, that's what makes a home, is to leave and then cleave and then weave Together and then conceive to bear children. That's the order that that God has in mind. Get married and then bear children. Here's the wonderful thing about that. As husband and wife are leaving and cleaving and weaving their lives together, there is a built in example there that is so, so valuable to children. Children have built in lessons that they are learning from their parents as their parents are are continuing their marriage relationship. And that's exactly how God set it up to be. When that marriage relationship is not there, it becomes more and more difficult for children to understand the ways of God. And so we and family members involved and and fellow church members have to work extra hard to help children who have not been blessed by a faithful marriage in their home. So... The first set of principles found in Matthew 19 concerning marriage, the home begins with marriage. You just don't jump to raising, thinking about rearing children without first thinking about marriage. It's just the way God set it up. Now the second passage we want to take a quick look at is Exodus 2 verses 1 through 11. This this involves uh, Amram and Jochebed, the parents of Moses. And uh, we've been blessed to study Moses on Wednesday nights here last uh, few weeks. But there are, some, there are some principles of parenting found right here with uh, Moses' parents. I want us to notice four marks of faith that you find there in regard to Amram and Jacobed, Moses' parents. Okay, Think about four marks of their faith. First of all, they valued their child. You notice that in Exodus 2 one and two, they valued their child. They saw that their child was a fair child, okay, or a goodly child. Okay, of course that does not mean that they were looking at Moses and trying to decide whether they're going to keep him or not. Okay, please don't read the Bible in that sort of of um, way, but rather they valued Moses as a child from God when you put together Exodus 2, 1 and 2 and then Stephen's sermon that mentions this in Acts 7, verse 20 and then the Hebrew writer writing about this in Hebrews 11, 23 you put those together and you see what they were looking at how they were thinking about their child was that he was beautiful in God's sight. Okay. He was he was um, fair according to God. Okay. He was beautiful in God's sight. Okay. And we must value uh, children. That's how, what Brother Philip uh, was bringing out uh, this morning. That's what, that's what Moses' parents, uh, that's what they did. Okay. The second mark of faith we see here in Exodus 2 is, is the courage that they, they, they had uh, in regard to their faith. All parents gotta have courage. And this was a particular time, a hard time back in uh, Moses' time. Time of his birth, the threat of Pharaoh—you remember—and his trying to uh, eliminate all the male uh, Hebrew uh, boys, and uh, he was going about that. But notice the courage of Moses' parents. Okay, they were going to seek a way to keep their little boy alive. Okay, just like the midwives of Exodus chapter one who feared Jehovah more than they feared Pharaoh so Moses' parents were living in that way as well. How do we know? Hebrews 11.23 comments and says that Moses' parents were not afraid this is the exact quote they were not afraid of the king's commandment. They were not afraid of the king's commandment. So courage was the second mark of their faith. And the third mark of their faith was trust in the Lord. So we don't know what happened. Did somebody hear Moses crying? Did somebody go and, and, and tell someone? Did someone get a glimpse of, of the baby? We don't know, but after three months they could no longer hide him. And so the third mark of their faith is trust. They build an ark of bulrushes. They they connect it together with slime and pitch and they go and place the baby in the basket and put the basket in the riverbed among the flask and there he goes. But they're not really placing Moses. They are. They're placing Moses in the basket but they're really in their mind they are placing Moses in the hands of God. Okay. And that's what we do as we're bringing our children up in the, in the word of God. We're placing them in the hands of of God so notice their marks of faith here they valued their child they were courageous in their decision and they trusted in the Lord interesting that the very waters here that saved Moses are the very waters that will eventually afflict the Egyptians because the first plague Exodus 7 14, 15 is Moses turning the, the water to blood the very waters that saved Noah and his family are the very waters that overthrew the rest of the world. See, When God is in charge, some amazing things can happen. God had a plan for Moses. God had a plan for Noah. God had a plan for Esther. There is a power behind one faithful person. And as we seek to help other people, it is really good, both in our families and in church and, and really in any situation, is, is to think about one person at a time. One person. Just think of the power of leading one person to a full mature faith in God. That one person then will, if he has a full he or she has a full mature faith in God, that, that person will lead others and influence others one at a time. God had a plan for, for Moses. So notice that Amram and Jochebed their faith included, they valued their child. They had courage. They had trust in the Lord. The fourth mark of their faith was they used their time wisely. They made the most of their time. How do we know that? Well, there's an older sister, Miriam. And she's amazing here in Exodus too. As the the baby goes down the river in the basket and she is watching. She's watching closely. And, And she is listening as the baby cries. She's hearing that. She's watching as Pharaoh's daughter and her servants have compassion upon Moses. She watches as they take Moses, and then she herself has the courage to approach and then to say, shall I go and fetch one of the Hebrew women to nurse the child? And Pharaoh's daughter said, go. Miriam does not have this sort of wisdom by accident. You don't get water out of a a dry well. Her parents have spent time with her, and that is paying off on this occasion. Time. Time time godly parents make the most of the time that they have Ephesians 5 16 says to do that make the most of your time for the days are evil do you think that somewhat is related to the days of Moses here the days are evil and what is what are Moses parents what are they doing they're making the most of their time with their child especially here as you read in Exodus 2 and you come down here and and um, Miriam goes and gets her own mom and so Moses' mother's gonna get more time with, with him as she nurses her child, obviously, from the character that we see in Moses later. She made the most of the time she had with her child. We cannot, we cannot overemphasize that as parents, grandparents. How fast time, Miss, Miss Judy back there was saying, isn't it amazing, was talking about the lock-in, isn't it amazing how that uh, just a few years ago, the ones now who are parents, young parents, were very involved in, in those lock-ins. Time is, um, it's, it's, even though we know it, the, the passing of time is still quite amazing. Making the most of the time. And so, notice those four principles there with Exodus 2. Now let's run over to Hebrews 11. We're still with Moses' parents. But notice what they were going to teach Moses. Notice what they did teach Moses. So Hebrews 11 helps us with this, of course. Hebrews 11 and uh, 24 and following. First of all, Notice they taught Moses how to say no, because we read here in Hebrews 11:24 that by faith Moses, when he was grown up, he refused, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. They had taught him how to say no, how to say no. It's not that they just, it's not that Moses heard the word no all the time from his parents. That's important, okay? That's important. But they taught. Him, and we must teach them how to say no, how to say no. You know, Joseph said no to the approach of Potiphar's wife. Jesus said no to Satan in the wilderness. The Hebrew men of Daniel 3 said no to the worshiping of that golden image. James writes in James 4 that we are to resist the devil And he will flee from us. We must teach them how to say no. How for them to say no. And so instead of just saying no every so often or maybe even more than every so often say why do you think mom and dad wouldn't want you to do that? Why why do you think the answer is going to be no? Because most of the time children know that the answer is going to be no. But instead of just saying no, why do you think it's no? Why do you think God would be displeased? What do you think the answer is? should be. And so teaching them to say no. That's one thing that Moses' parents did. A second thing that they taught Moses, they taught him to choose the, the hard path. Hebrews 11 and 25 says concerning Moses choosing rather to, to suffer affliction with the people of God to enjoy the, the pleasures of the sin for a season. They taught Moses to choose the hard path. Following Jesus is choosing the hard path. Okay. Especially if you're surrounded with temptation, it's going to seem like the hard path. Of course, it's the best road, but Jesus doesn't disguise the, the path that we are, we are to choose. Matthew 16:24, the Lord says, if anyone's going to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and, and follow after me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever shall... Lose his life for my sake and for the gospel's sake, he will then be able to find his life, you see. And so we teach our children to say no to certain things. We teach our children to choose the hard path. And then a third thing that Moses learned, he learned what the true riches are. We teach our children what the true riches are. You see that in Hebrews 11. In verse 26 this time. He considered the reproach of Christ of greater wealth, greater riches than all the treasures of Egypt. See, they talk somewhere along the way. Moses learned what the true riches are and the, the money and possessions are not the true, true riches. Just for our information over in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7. Talking about the gospel, Paul says that We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Well, the earthen vessels, that's us. Okay, We're made from the dust of the ground. And he had just been talking about how the gospel brings the light into the world. He says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Job said in Job 23 and verse 12, I treasure up the words of God's mouth more than my necessary food. See, Job had been taught this. Moses had been taught this. That the word of God is the treasure of all treasures. You know, the Ethiopian eunuch was a treasurer in Ethiopia. And he found the the treasure, the true treasure. The treasurer found the true treasure of life. We must teach them what the true riches are. And then the fourth principle here in Hebrews 11 that Moses learned was that he learned to obey. Hebrews 11:28 By faith, Moses kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. So we teach our children. What four things are we to teach our children according to Hebrews 11? Teach them to say no. Teach them to choose the hard path. Teach them what the true riches are. And teach them to obey. Jesus is the master. He is the Lord. And we are to be in the habit of of obeying him. Alright. And so the other passage tonight is Luke 2.52. Luke 2.52. So what I've just tried to do with you this evening is give you a quick outline of how does the home. People in the home end up in heaven. The city that lies four square. And our final passage is Luke Uh, 2.52 where it talks about Jesus growing up. It says that he grew or he increased. He increased. That's an interesting word. I wish we had this all sorts of time. But the word grew or increased there in Luke 2.52 it it comes from the idea of, of clearing a path for others behind you. If, um, if you're going to plant a garden, you've got, to, you've got to get your machines out, get your sling blade out, you've got to clear a path so you, can, so you can build a garden. Or if you're going to build a house, then you've got to clear the path so that people behind you can come. And oftentimes uh, there were military personnel who would clear the path for the army that was marching behind them. So this is Jesus here. He increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. He, his example is to be an example for us, not only in our lives, but also in bringing up our children. So notice the four principles here. First of all, to increase in wisdom. Of course, that's the knowledge of God. You know, 2 Timothy uh, three fifteen. 15, uh, Timothy is encouraged to hold on to the things which he, have lear- he has learned and been assured of, knowing that from a babe you have... You have um, you have learned the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation, Second Timothy three fifteen. So we are to teach our children the word of God. I have um, uh, I asked my wife to run this off for us tonight. I'd like for you to pick this up, share it with as many people as possible. This is a list of twenty five things. Okay, and so if parents, grandparents. Um, uh, if, you, if you see somebody that's not here tonight, make sure they get a list. This is from Glenn and Cindy Colley, uh, who, who serve at the West Huntsville Church of Christ. But uh, the, the title of this list is, What I Want Them to Know. What I Want Them to Know. What do I want my children to know before they leave home? 25 things, and you can pick up a copy here. But it begins with, God created the universe in six literal 24-hour days. And the last one is the revelation of God's will for humankind has been completed. There will be no further uh, communication revelation. So, 25 things that we want our children, grandchildren to know, uh, or at least have a good grasp of before uh, they leave home. Please pick up one of these. So, Jesus increased number one in wisdom, number two in stature. Okay. This is teaching us to teach our children. How to take care of their bodies. The body, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 13-20, he says the body is not for fornication. The body is not for some things. The body is for some things. Okay? But the body is not for evil things. It's not for fornication because 1 Corinthians 6:19 and 20 says that our body and our spirit are not our own. We have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God both in your body and in your spirit. So Jesus increased, first of all, in wisdom. We teach our children the Word of God. And secondly, we teach them how to to control their bodies. The body is a tool God has given us to do His will. And number three, we teach them how to have favor with God. How to have favor with God. We encourage them in a personal walk with God just as soon as they can begin to understand we want them to think about them and God. She and God. He and God. Okay, It's important to bring our children to the, to church, but we don't need to make our faith, our children's faith, a faith in church. Okay, Of course, church is part of God's will, but their faith is to be in the Lord. A personal walk with the Lord. And to do this, we need to encourage... Our children, just as soon as they're able to understand and, and read a little bit and remember a little bit, encourage them to spend some time with them, just them and God, she and God, he and God. That means you set them down at the kitchen table and they have nothing but their Bible and a pen and paper, no phone, no computer, no TV, just them, and you say, You sit there with God. For 20 minutes, and then I'm going to ask you what you've been thinking about. Okay, they can do that. They can do it. You can even add a song, bring a song book, have a song book at home for sure, and ask them to flip through the pages of the song book. Just them, the song book, pen, paper, God, and then 20 minutes later, what have what you, you been thinking about? Okay, it's so a favor with God and in favor with man because we teach our children that they are to be the light. Uh, for Christ, it's not a popularity contest. When Jesus said, "When it says that Jesus increased in favor with men," it's not that Jesus was the most pot- most popular person on earth. He he got himself crucified. But if you wanted to know about God, if you wanted to see the light of God, then you would follow Jesus, and that's the that's the goal that God has for all of us. Okay, and so the four principles there in Luke two, two, is teach them about. Teach them the Word of God. Teach them to control their bodies. Teach them to walk with God personally. And teach them to be servants to shine the light of Christ every day. If I was to do just a long session, you know, a whole, maybe a whole Saturday morning, this is the approach that I would take. But I know you might take a whole different approach, but the principles we need, you would agree, is in the Word of God and nowhere else. I love the thought of that city that lies four square. And I was just thinking, you know, there's got to be four blessings about that city. And we we noticed those from Revelation 21. I got to thinking, is it possible to approach parenting? Foursquare parenting. And so that got me to thinking, you know, marriage has four principles. And then faith has four principles. And then what we're to teach our children from Hebrews 11 and Luke 2.52 involves four principles as well. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you a little bit further this evening about God in the home. Our ultimate goal, no matter what tools we use, our ultimate goal is for every member of every family to be in heaven. To get to heaven, you've got to be faithful. So when we say to get to heaven, that means being faithful to God. It is very possible for that to happen because God has communicated His will uh, to us. What is the hardest verse in the Bible? What's the most difficult verse in the Bible? as I was reading through Exodus 2 and Moses' parents thought about having that baby in those difficult times but they had that value for each child I think about the great courage they showed the tremendous trust they had in God And then the time they spent with their children. But then I come back to that trust because remember what happened there. Because of Miriam stepping up, by the way, what if she hadn't? The power of one person. What if Miriam had not approached Pharaoh's daughter and then asked that question shall I go and fetch? But beyond that, it worked. And she was able to get her own mom, Moses' own mom, to be able to take care of Moses for those. For we don't know how long. But that, that time period came to an end. Exodus 2 verse 10. Is that the most difficult verse in the Bible? It would come close. I would never want to diminish the sufferings of Christ and reading about the sufferings of Christ. I certainly wouldn't want to diminish all the warnings about hell. Hellfire, hellfire. I wouldn't want to diminish all the important verses about leading someone to Christ, but Exodus, Exodus 2, verse 10 has got to rank in the top ten of the most difficult verses to to read and to think about because after she has spent this time with Moses, more time, she got more time, then what happened? Can you relate to that? We can relate a little. I'm sure all of us have our experiences. When Anna was three years old, we had her down at Children's Hospital. They were doing tests on her and they had this big test coming up where she'd have to be put to sleep. And We're going up the elevator and Anna is is uh, not at home, so, so of course she's crying. She's not at home, We're going up the elevator. we got this young little um, office person putting papers in front of our face saying, well, before we get here for this test, you've got to sign this, this, and this. And what I wanted to do, I did not do. Okay. Bertha, you've had those moments, haven't you? When you, when you thought about where... Um, you better hang on to your Christian attitude or something else may come out. That's where I was in that elevator because of what I wanted to say to her I did not say. We let the process go on and so we get to the room and they're going to put her to sleep and then we've got to let them take her for a while and How is it that that Moses' mother, after getting extra time with her son, then, Exodus 2, verse 10, comes back and takes her child and places it in the arms of Pharaoh's daughter. What faith and what trust those parents must have had. And that's exactly what God expects of us and that's where he wants us uh, to be if you are a subject we're going to sing this song this evening bring christ your broken life every cry every life that's apart from christ is broken and we need to come to christ with all of our heartaches with all of our sins and if you need to come won't you come this evening as we stand together and as we sing